You're listening to the Money Owners Podcast with Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on the podcast, the homework, coaching, and everything else Money Owners has to offer, visit www.moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? I am super excited to present episode 45 to you, which is going to be a Q&A, and it's a special Q&A. It's all about housing this time. I got actually only housing questions, and so I figured we would have a housing Q&A. <laughs> um, actually, it's, I think, a good time to have a housing Q&A. I feel like the market right now, depending on where you live, it's really kind of crazy. Certain areas, um, just because of COVID, like big cities, people are starting to move out. They're starting to move to the suburbs. Um, they're starting to move upstate or like, you know, they can work from home and all these things. So housing prices where they normally are expensive haven't really seen much of anything of an increase or maybe even a decrease. Um, whereas places that typically you wouldn't think of as being popular necessarily or maybe were struggling prior to COVID or now kind of the cool spot. I um I have a client actually who was um they had a house up in upstate New York and it they didn't think about it really. It was just more of a vacation home for them and they didn't really care whether or not it appreciated. It was just somewhere for them to go and enjoy and relax. And um they got a cash offer on their place and they were just totally shocked because it was way over anything that they had ever anticipated. And it's literally because of everything that we have going on right now. So um, this episode couldn't be more timely. Um, my apologies. I was supposed to get this out sooner. Um, yeah, this was a crazy week. Uh, my book came out finally. So if you um, if you like the podcast, you like the show, if you like my Twitter account, then you'll love my book. Um, it's called the Quick Start, the Personal Finance Quick Start Guide. And um, it is finally here. And I know I've been talking about it quite a bit. And you can find it on Amazon. I will link to it in the show notes. And I also have it pinned on my Twitter account at Morgan with an E Rochard. So I would love the support. If you like the book, please leave me a review. Um, if you don't like the book, read or write a review too. I don't know. I just want to be honest and I'd love feedback. So um, yeah, either way, <laughs> send in your comments and um, please do the same thing for this show. If you like the show, tell a friend, tell, um, tell anybody who you think could benefit from this. That's the whole point of it is to disseminate as much free resources out there that I can. Um, one of the things that has always been really important to me has been to um, be able to serve my clients on a, on a one-to-one basis, um, but my time is limited and my resources from my financial planning practice are limited. And the podcast is always supposed to be somewhere where I can really just give out free good information. And um, with that in mind, hopefully you like this show, this specific podcast, the Q&A on housing. Um, and if not, send in other questions. I'm here for you. So I'm always asking for questions and I'm happy to answer whatever you have. So if you don't like housing and you like some other topics, send it in. I'm happy to answer it. And with that, we'll dive right in. So the first question is, what do first-time homebuyers need to think about to ensure they are happy both financially and mentally? I love this question. Um, so not to keep pitching my book, but there's a giant chapter um, in my book, chapter 11, Buying a Home. <laughs> and it really delves into this. Um, we will hit the highlights on it for sure. Um, but if you want more, I highly recommend reading that chapter. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, so the first thing, which is something that we always say on this podcast over and over and over again, so maybe I sound like a broken record, is to evaluate 
like where you stand when it comes to being a home buyer. Um, I think that people often just think that they're supposed to be a home buyer. So they go and buy a home um, and they don't really think about what it would look like on the other side. So I kind of, I actually recommend to clients all the time that they imagine what it would be like to be in the home that they are looking at. Um, both like what it would be like from a life standpoint, like how, how it would literally be to live in that home and then what it would feel like from a financial standpoint um, if you are actually stretching to buy the home. So one of the things that I often see with first-time home buyers is they stretch. And the reason why is because you're generally younger when you're a first-time home buyer and um, you think, okay, well, my income's just going to go up, so I'll grow into this house. So I might as well buy as much house as I can afford. And that is a huge mistake. <laughs> You can always move. I highly recommend buying less house than you can afford as opposed to as much house as the mortgage broker is willing to lend you. So brokers who um, work at these banks and other mortgage lending companies, they want to lend to you as much as they can. They get paid based on how much they lend to you. Um, it's usually a percentage of the mortgage balance, right? So it is in their best interest to tell you how exactly how much you can afford on the maximum of your budget and then have you house hunt based on that. You need to know your budget going in rather than after you've already chosen a home, <laughs> hoping you can afford it and then go to get your mortgage. So um, that's that's one thing to think about for sure. Um, but also I think the other thing, just kind of the, the soft stuff before we get into the hard stuff around the math is like the extent to which you want your money, your time and your energy actually invested in your home. So for some people, when they think about, you know, their heart's core, the thing that really makes them tick, the thing that really is the most important thing in their life, it will be their home. And for those people, they're homebodies, right? They do a lot in their home. Maybe um, it's the garden. Maybe there's certain, maybe you cook a lot and you want a really, you know, really good kitchen because of that. Um, maybe you want to have a lot of kids and therefore you want to have a lot of space. I mean, I don't really know you without, you know, actually knowing you to answer that part of the question. But for some people, the home really is where the heart is, right? And I think for most, it's not actually that way. For most, it's a place that we, yes, it's yes, a place that we gather and it's a place that we have our family and it's a place that we share, but it's not the thing that kind of keeps us going. Um, for most people, right, it's experiences and it's spending time with their family. It's less about where they're spending it and more about who they're spending it with. Um, and that doesn't mean that if you're the kind of person that thinks that your home is everything that you shouldn't spend money on the home. I just want you to really evaluate if you're that person or if you're the kind of person that really actually could spend your money elsewhere and be just as happy in a home that wasn't quote unquote perfect. So the other thing is that the larger your home is, the more time and energy you have to spend doing things around your home. So for instance, right, like my husband and I, we have, um, our house is under 3,000 3, square feet. I did that on purpose. And one of the things that I said was, I don't want to clean a house that's more than 3,000 square feet. It's just too much house. Um, and everything is just more expensive <laughs> once you get over that number. Um, so we purposely bought less um, house so that we wouldn't have to clean as much. And then also so that when we had like professionals come in and clean, it wouldn't cost as much. So like I wanted to get our carpet steamed because they, you know, we've been here almost a year now and we've gotten mud tracked in and we potty trained our son <laughs> and everything else that comes along with that. Right. So like we got our carpet steamed. Um, if my house was 4,500, 5,000 square feet, right. It would have been a lot more expensive than if my home was 2,500 square feet, which is what I have. So, um, and obviously the smaller your house, right. The less you spend on things like carpet steaming or tile steaming or whatever it is that you need to have somebody come in and do. So there is a time, money and energy 
aspect to the size of your home that isn't really considered when you buy your home. Um, and so if you're, if you're going for a larger home, because you like the idea of having a large home, you actually also have to think about all the things that you will need to do because your home is large. Um, that doesn't mean you can't go buy a large home. I'm just saying that before you do that and before you commit financially to doing something like that, and then you're living in the home and you've got dust bunnies everywhere because you can't clean that home because you don't want to spend time doing it. And maybe you spent too much and you can't afford somebody to come in and clean it for you, right? These are all things that you need to think about before you actually go buy the home. And even before you're doing the math, it's really like, how much of your time do you want to be doing stuff in your home? Um, same thing with like lawns or property, right? If you have a large piece of property versus a small piece of property, right? You're going to be picking weeds for a lot longer period of time than you are <laughs> on a smaller piece of property, right? If you have a large piece of property. Um, conversely, though, right? If your dream is always to have like, you know, chickens in your backyard, you probably need more more land than let's say somebody who just, you know, wants like a meticulous lawn and doesn't doesn't really care about how much lawn they actually have. Um, so these are all things to consider as you're deciding whether or not you want to be a homeowner, um, what kind of homeowner you want to be, and how much time, money, effort, energy, everything else you want to be spending with your home. Um, and also if you're doing a, if you're a typical person who works um, Monday through Friday, you also are now committing to doing things on the weekend with your home for the most part if you are a homeowner. So Maybe it's not every weekend, but a lot of weekends you're probably going to be spending doing something related to your home. Um, and if you are buying a home that's large, right, the larger the home you buy, the more time you're going to be spending doing that. Um, if you love your home, that's great. And maybe that's what you want to do on your weekends because you love it so much and you like DIY projects and everything else. Um, if you don't, however, then you're either going to be paying somebody nonstop to be doing these things for you in your home, or you're just going to neglect your home, in which case, why did you buy such a large, nice home to begin with? So always start there. <laughs> um, the next thing you do after you've evaluated, you know, what kind of homeowner you want to be and where you want to be is to actually do the math. Um, and the thing about it is that there are more costs associated with your home than just the mortgage. I hear this all the time from people and they think like, okay, well, I just have to pay my principal and interest off. But um, and it's an investment. And yeah, to some extent, right, paying down the principal in your home is an investment, right, because you're putting it towards equity in your home. And at some point when you go to sell your home, hopefully your, your home has at least not de declined in value. <laughs> Um, you will actually get that money out. But in the meantime, you're paying interest, which I mean, right now is kind of negligible because of where interest rates are, thankfully. Um, but you're also paying property taxes, which is an unrecoverable cost. You're paying homeowners insurance, another unrecoverable cost. You have maintenance expenses associated with your home, um, which people love to forget. And it's usually um, between one to 3% of the home's actual price. So um, something to consider if you bought a $100,000 home, let's say, you know, that's a thousand to $3,000 a year, just right away in home expenses. Um, and the larger your home is and the more expensive it is, generally the more expensive the maintenance is going to be on that home. So million dollar home, you can expect at least 10 grand a year in maintenance related expenses. And a lot of them are unrecoverable. So people always think like, oh, if I do a little maintenance on my home, I'll get it back in the, you know, when I sell my home, but that's not really true, right? Like I just steam my carpets and I spent, you know, some money on that, but I'm not going to recover that cost. And that's maintenance associated with my home. If I didn't steam my carpets and I let them basically go to hell and then I never replace them, right? My home would probably decline in value. So there are certain things that maybe maintain a value of your home, um, or just don't really affect the price at all. I actually mentioned this in one of our other podcasts. Um, my sister and I, we were playing, 
in our socks in my parents' home and we were skating across the floor and we literally ran into the wall and we ran to the wall multiple times because we thought it was funny and then we put a hole in the wall. Um, if my parents didn't fix that hole in the wall, right? Like, <laughs> I think their home would be worth a lot less. <laughs> um, but them fixing it, right? And it probably costing them a few thousand dollars to do so um, didn't really improve the value of the home either. So these are all things to be considering when you are um, considering the maintenance on the home. Um, same thing with like things like gutters, right? You're going to clean out your gutters. Um, maybe you're paying somebody to do it. Maybe it's just your time that you're getting up on the roof with a ladder and everything else. And hopefully you're being careful and you have life insurance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these are all things, right? That um, they do add up and they are costs associated with your home. Um, and then other things, right? You might live in a community with an HOA. Um, there might be other, just other costs associated with your home. I always include utilities actually in the costs of your home. I know that when you're a renter, you would be paying those usually anyways, or sometimes they're included. Um, but really like for most, you want to not spend more than 20% of your pre-tax income on your home. Um, and that includes really everything related to your home. Um, everything, like even your furniture. So if you're, if you're like, you know, young and moving into a new home and you don't really have any furniture and you're hoping to furnish your entire house, um, in one shot, like you're probably going to want to buy less home than you can afford just because you're going to be spending so much on furniture. Um, and these are not really things that we take into account, or you need to slide something else in the budget somewhere else so that you actually have money to pay for the furniture. But, um, you know, it, it's a little bit different if let's say you take a bunch of furniture from your parents and then you're adding maybe something every year, replacing things as you go. Um, so you kind of have to evaluate your own situation. I would also say it makes sense before you're even looking for a home to calculate your budget in advance. Um, the best thing for a broker is when you don't do that, right? When you have like a number, you're like, okay, I think I could spend $500,000 on a house, right? <laughs> and you go with the broker and then they start showing you like $650,000 houses and you're like ooing and eyeing, obviously, because it's nicer than the $500,000 house that you looked at and has like the things that you wanted, but it's really not in your budget and your budget that you came up with to begin with wasn't really even a budget. So the easiest way to do this, um, it's kind of like a back of the envelope thing, um, which you could back into it and then you should then see whether or not it's 20% of your pre-tax income <laughs> after you do the math on it. But the best thing to do is to get a starting number is to multiply your pre-tax income by 1.7 to get the mortgage balance that you can assume. Then you divide that number by 0.8 to get your home budget. So for example, if you make $100,000 a year, you would multiply $100,000 by 1.7 to get you $170,000. You divide the $170,000 by 0.8, and then $212,500 is your house budget. Okay, so you're like now like, what are you talking about, lady? Why so low? My mortgage broker told me I can easily afford $300,000. And this goes back to what we were just talking about, which is you'll also have property taxes. You're going to have maintenance. You're going to have homeowner's insurance. You're going to have utilities to pay. You're going to have other things that you probably want to put into your house. You're going to want to furnish it. You're going to want to put bath mats in it, right? <laughs> And you want to keep all of this stuff under 20% of pre-tax income. And the reason why you want to do that is because as a first-time homebuyer, especially and when you're young, there's no better time for you to be saving and investing than when you are young. The more you do when you are young, the less you have to do later on. So if you are stretching your budget on every single thing, um, and if you're the kind of person that is going to do that, then you're not going to save, let's say, in your 20s and 30s. You're going to maybe wait until your 40s or 50s, and then you're going to have a lot more saving to do later on to catch up. Um, and that's just because of time value of money. 
and the power of compounding. So the more you do now, the less you'll have to do later. And you will thank me for it. <laughs> Start saving now. Um, and if you keep everything under 20% of pre-tax income, you will actually have the ability to save 20% of your pre-tax income. So that's generally what I recommend is not only are you spending maybe 20% of pre-tax income, but you're also saving 20% of pre-tax income, right? Then you have 60% um, left over to basically pay taxes and also fund everything else that you need to fund in your life. So, um, the math just doesn't work. And I hear this over and over again from people that, oh, well, I can't afford to buy more. And yes, the answer is yes, you can, but do you want to, because do you want to basically be sacrificing a lot later on because you didn't do what you needed to do now? Um, so that's just everything that I like to keep in mind. Um, there are some other things, right? Like you need to assess location when you're a first time home buyer, um, and keep in mind, you know, where you want to be living and why it is that you want to be living there. Um, and maybe it makes sense to be, you know, do you want to be close to the shops or grocery stores? Do you, do you want to be close to a park? Do you want to be in a younger community? Do you want to be in an older community? You know, like what, where, like, what do you want the area to be like for you? What kind of schools do you want? to be sending your kids to. Um, all that stuff is pretty important when you're narrowing down where you want to be living, especially because for a lot of people, yeah, you might move, but you might not. <laughs> you might find the process so onerous that you don't do it again. Um, and after you've arrived at your budget, I actually, I always recommend that people do a little rent versus buy calculation anyways, and then see whether or not they can find something in that area cheaper to rent than they would be to buy just because why not? Um, if the reason why you're buying a home has nothing to do with finances, finances, which I typically hear, then that's fine. But you might still want to know, like from a market perspective, um, how much it does cost for you to rent versus buy in your area. Um, and then other things to be thinking about, right, is like fixer upper versus move in ready. So um, I personally can't handle or stomach a lot of construction. Some people love that stuff, right? So um, if you're the kind of person that maybe you could do a lot on your own or you just want things to look a certain way and all of that is really important to you, then when you're calculating your budget, right, if you're going to be doing, let's say, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of work, you need to obviously reduce your budget to pay for the um, renovation costs and everything else. So that's something to consider, too, when you're looking at a home and, you know, can you be patient through the process and live with some flaws while you are fixing the home? Um, since you probably will be living there while you're doing renovations or you'll be living with a family member, maybe, or even renting something while you're doing renovations. So all things to be considering and also including in your budget in advance before you actually go buy a home. Um, and then like pay attention to the details, right? So for instance, like our home, we live in Texas and we get a lot of heat in the afternoon. So we purposely did not want our windows facing West in the afternoon because like the summer here is long and we didn't want to have extenuating cooling costs basically to keep our house cool. Sometimes you can't even do it, but like, I didn't want my HVAC working like on overdrive because I had my windows facing west. Um, I also wanted to make sure my kids had some sun, like some shade in the afternoon when it's the hottest, right? So that we could play in the backyard. So these are details that you probably want to consider when you're buying a home of what's really important to you and like what's fixable versus what's not, right? Like you can't move the direction that your house is in, but you can replace carpet. <laughs> so um, just some things to think about. And then there's also seasonality related to where you're buying. So um, not all markets are going to be the same, right? If you're looking at a beach community, um, things are probably going to be a little bit more expensive in April and May because people want to, you know, basically sell their home and have it be moving ready for the summer. 
um, versus if you go look at that same home and let's say, I don't know, November, um, in the middle of the winter, it might be a little bit cheaper. Um, that said, it's hard to tell in this market whether or not that is going to be true. Um, but these are all things to think about. And I hope that that answers your question. If it doesn't, send in another one. All right, next question. Okay, we have $100,000 uninvested and we are looking to buy our first home for around $300,000. My wife and I are in our 30s and we started saving and investing late and only have about another $20,000 in retirement accounts together. Does it make sense to put all $100,000 into the home for a down payment, i.e. more than a 20% down payment, um, or to do less than that? We currently make around $150,000 a year. Thank you for your input. All right. So my first question to you would be, are you currently saving 20% of your pre-tax income, i.e. $30,000 a year? Um, if the answer is no, <laughs> then it kind of depends how you're going to answer this home, but uh, answer this question, excuse me. But um, a $300,000 home is affordable given your current income, and it would keep you under 20% of pre-tax income for housing costs, even if you put down a 20% down payment of $60,000 rather than a um, 33% down payment of $100,000. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and if you're not saving 20% of your pre-tax income, then the house and your rent is probably not the issue. Um, or maybe it is, maybe you're currently renting for more than um, more than 20% of your income, um, in which case it would help free up a little bit in the budget. But you probably do want to evaluate all of your expenses to make sure that you're actually saving 20% of pre-tax income. Um, given your age and how much you have in retirement accounts, and it sounds like maybe you don't even have an emergency fund, it probably does not make sense to put down more than 20% for the following reasons. Um, one, your home that you decide to buy may or may not appreciate in value, in which case you've taken basically all of your savings outside of retirement accounts and put it into one asset that may or may not grow. Um, and in the meantime, you'll be paying, you know, um, interest on your mortgage and property taxes and <laughs> the whole list, right? The homeowner's insurance, possibly an HOA fee, um, maintenance on your home, which is going to be, you know, one to 3% of the price of your home. So all things to consider. Um, and if you don't put the 20, if you only put 20% down rather than 33% down, right? I mean, there's going to be some closing costs associated with your house, but you'll probably have another $30,000 left over at least um, that you can put into other investments, or you can ensure that you have a proper emergency savings fund. Um, I generally recommend that people have five to six months worth of any non-discretionary expenses saved in an emergency savings fund. Um, this will just give you some freedom if something were to happen. That way, like you don't feel like you need to move or foreclose on your home the second something goes wrong. Um, and yeah, then also like maybe if you do actually, if you also do have an emergency fund, you could actually take that extra 30 grand and put it um, into the market or, or invest it according to your risk tolerance and time horizon. So um, I would say that it, it definitely does not make sense, especially given current interest rates to put down that much. That said, though, if you're really not saving anything right now um, and the budget is really tight and this would be a good way for you to say to free up cash flow, then you can make a case for actually putting in the $100,000 into the $300,000 home, thereby lowering your mortgage balance. Um, I would do the math on that. Um, I would see, does it like if my mortgage balance, let's say was 240 versus 200, um, how much, how much am I actually saving? 
<laughs> like how much cash flow am I actually freeing up on that one? Um, and if the answer is that it's enough for you to maybe do some other things, put away some extra savings and, and, you know, make things work, then I would say go for it. If not though, if that's just a way for you to free up some cash flow to actually spend money on other things, um, then I would really evaluate the other side of your budget just because that's not going to help you in the long run. Um, what is going to help you in the long run is making sure that you keep um, your large fixed expenses under 20% of pre-tax income. Also, if you have um, a, like cars or anything else, you probably want to keep that under 5% of pre-tax income as well. Um, and then lastly, you want to make sure that you're saving actually 20% of pre-tax income, which given um, what you have in retirement, I'm, I'm not sure how when you started doing that, but um, it does sound like you have some ways to go there as well. So um, hopefully that helps answer your question. If not, send me another question. All right. The last question I have is, what are the pros and cons to doing a cash out refinancing to buy Bitcoin? Um, I love this question. <laughs> Thanks for sending this in. I've actually seen this one going around quite a bit. And then I saw people like giving really bad answers. So I actually wanted to just get kind of lay out the case here. So here's the thing, right? If you bought a home, let's say, and you've been diligently paying it down and let's say, I don't know, you have like... 50% of your home equity, you now have 50% home equity and 50%, let's say, left over on your mortgage balance. Um, you can do a cash out refinancing, right? You could pull money out of that and then maybe go back to 20% of equity. That way you don't get a PMI charge or anything else like that. Um, that would just be kind of wasting cash flow um, to then go and invest. Um my question really would be whether or not you have other assets. So, and why, why you're doing this. And I think that the reason why I think you are trying to do this, right, is because you think Bitcoin is going to go up a lot more than let's say the 3% that you're going to pay on your cash out refinancing. Um, and that's fair. I mean, that kind of applies to a lot of assets right now. I mean, I know that kind of a taboo thing to say to Bitcoiners that other assets will probably also appreciate more than that, not bonds. But I think in the stock market over a long period of time, right, if you cashed out refied for over a 30 year period, there is probably a spread there of like, you know, 4% or so, at least um, in nominal terms. So and, you know, I'm, and I'm assuming you're saying this because you think Bitcoin's going to go to like, you know, the moon and back. So um <laughs> So yeah, there's absolutely a spread there. Um, and that would be the pro to doing it for sure. The con would be right if you if this was your only asset. Um, I would say that if you are if you don't have really any other investments, if you just have your home and maybe a little bit of Bitcoin, um, and your thought was like, okay, well, I have a lot of home equity and I'd like to free up some of that cash flow to go diversify out of my home into other things, then it makes sense. Um, typically, I don't like to see people's net worth be more than 40% in real estate. Um, and that includes their home. Um, so you'd have to evaluate that for yourself of how much of your net worth is actually in your home right now versus what you have in other assets. Um, if you are pretty balanced where you have you know, let's say, I don't know, 30% of your net worth in real estate in your home and then 70% of everywhere else. I mean, I guess you could um, do a cash out refi still, depending on how much it was to bring that number even down lower. Um, but it's not really going to move the needle that much versus let's say you had 90% of your assets invested in your home and real estate um, and you did a cash out refinancing to diversify out. That I think would make sense because you actually have more risk having so much money in your home versus having money in other assets versus the other case. So that's definitely something to think about. Um, the downside to this, right, is that it doesn't pan out the way that you think it's going to or it takes too long 
to pan out the way that you think it's going to. So I know that Bitcoiners always think that Bitcoin's going to go up forever and ever and ever. And you might be right. And I hope you're right. And I hope that your investment thesis pays out, right? But in the meantime, you could cash out refi um, and have you know, your, your asset just continually decline. And now you have a larger mortgage balance. Um, and hopefully you did the math on whether or not it made sense for you to have that larger mortgage balance. So I still think that you should keep your, all of your expenses related to your home. If you're doing something like this under 20%. So if you're refinancing your mortgage, you have to think about, okay, I'm going to have a larger payment now because I'm doing a cash out refinancing to repay it back. Can I afford that larger payment, um, along with all the other homeowners expenses that I currently have. Um, and if I'm going to be doing it to buy Bitcoin, like make sure that maybe have an emergency savings fund, um, in dollars <laughs> because your liabilities are actually in dollars, right. To be able to pay that off if something were to happen. Um, and that would, that would really be, I think the main con to doing it would be that it just takes a long time, much longer than you think it's going to take. Um, that said, though, right, you have 30 years on this cash out refinancing. So provided that you did the math right and provided that you're keeping your income, your expenses in your home under 20 percent of pre-tax income, then it's probably going to be fine. Um, you're going to be able to repay it all. You're probably still going to be able to save money, um, maybe even, you know, buy other Bitcoin with your regular cash flow. Um, but if you're finding that you're just in a tight situation all over when it comes to your budget, um, and how incoming cash flow is going in, coming in and outgoing cash flow is going out, then I would say like that's actually the place to start before you do the cash out refinancing, just to make sure that you don't put yourself in a in a worse of a spot by doing this. Um, the thing about debt is right, a little debt is fine, it's good. Sometimes it's even great. Um, but the analogy I always like to use is like is a campfire, right? So a little bit of debt is like a campfire, and it's great. It can warm you. You can make s'mores. You can sing songs around the campfire. You can dance around it, and everybody's happy, right? If it turns into a wildfire, <laughs> um, even if the interest rate is low, right? If you're not repaying it, and then you foreclose on your home, or maybe other issues come up, right? Um, if it turns into a wildfire, it's a problem. So. I would always start with the the numbers first before you start thinking about, you know, the benefits to let's say the interest rate being 3% and Bitcoin potentially going up a thousand percent. Right. Um, because like in our heads, of course that makes sense. And of course on paper that makes sense, but if it doesn't play out exactly how you planned, then it might be a problem for you personally, in which case I would hate to see you put yourself in a situation where you can't actually make ends meet. Um, and I hope that answers your question. And if not, ask me another one. Alrighty. So that is all I have, um, for this week's episode of money owners. Um, please forgive me for my lateness in general <laughs> on these podcasts. Um, I'm really trying my best. Um, yeah, it's just been crazy around here since my book came out. Um, and I've got lots of clients meetings coming up, um, since I am due in January with a baby and we're just trying to get it all done before she gets here. So, um, please forgive me, but I do appreciate all of you listeners. Thank you for sending in your questions. Um, thank you as always for listening to the show and for telling a friend and for liking the show and for just being all around supportive. And, uh, we'll probably do another one of these in five to 10 episodes. Um, if you think of any questions you want answered, you can send them to me at Morgan with an E Rochard on Twitter or at money underscore owners on Twitter. You can also send them in on the website, moneyowners.com forward slash ask Morgan with an E. And with that, I will bid you adieu for another two, three weeks. Okay. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the money owners podcast. 
As a reminder, Money Owners LLC does not provide investment advice. It is also not a tax advisor, and Morgan Rochard does not provide tax advice or tax preparation. Money Owners LLC is also not a law firm, and Morgan Rochard is not an attorney. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will tune in again for our next show.